today that we would uh, really, God, that those words would just be an echo of our heart because of what you have done. God, that is in the book of Acts, it says that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that we would be saved, God, that as we sing those words, those words are not vain, they're not empty, they're not without meaning, but they have every bit of meaning because we know that life only comes in and through you. We thank you for the fact that you, in the sending of your son, your son paid the price for our sins. He bore our sins. He carried our sins to the cross. And in the midst of that, God, he carried the weight of those sins to the grave. But God, we stand here today able to celebrate because we know that he did not remain in the grave. He is not dead, but he is risen. And God, as a result of that, his resurrection from the dead, he offers us life. And so God, I pray that we would understand and experience life and life more abundantly in our lives daily because we have that close relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are finishing up our series called Money Matters. Uh, We've spent the last four weeks talking about money and how money affects who we are and what we do. And I want to ask you this question. Who's rich? (laughs) That's a good answer. But the reality is, I want to to ask you that. How would you classify richness? Would you consider yourself rich? Because what I've found is I've never met a rich person who's rich. Right? Right? Rich is relative. Matter of fact, being rich is an idea that's really a relative term because why? Rich is relative on the circumstance or situation you're in. If you make $18,000, then somebody who makes $35,000 might be rich. If you make 35, then somebody who makes 70,000 is rich. If you make 70, somebody who makes $150,000 is rich. If you make 150, you'd say, well, I'm not rich. I've worked hard for what I got. Somebody who makes $500,000 is rich. Somebody who makes $500,000 thinks what? A millionaire is rich. And it goes on and on and on and on. You get the picture, right? Rich is a relative term. But I want to give you this truth. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about being rich. And that's our sermon title today is this idea of being rich. See, rich people are those who have worked and at some point in life, we're able to stop working and live off of what they've saved. It's called retirement, right? That is a classification of rich. Rich is a person who stands in front of a closet full of clothes trying to figure out what you're going to wear. Matter of fact, you might have put on two or three outfits today and going, nope, nope, that's nope, not going to be, nope, not going to wear that one either. I'm going to wear this one. A rich person might be somebody who spent money on a yard or pool or maintenance for either one of those things. That might be a rich classification. You might be rich if you've had money left over or had somebody who had worked hard for money, passed away and had money left over. That would be considered rich for most people. Matter of fact, you might have spent money on a lawyer to make sure that the people who We're supposed to get the money, got the money. That might be being rich. But I want you to understand this. Rich is being able. Matter of fact, you might even think of it this way. Rich might be being able to operate one of those things that has an engine with these four rubber things on it and then parking it in its own house. That might be rich. You got a garage for your car. You might classify yourself as rich. Matter of fact, if you make more than $48,000 a year, 
you are in the top 1% in the world. Now, think about that because some of us are going, man, I make $48,000, but I'm not rich. Because remember, rich is what? Relative. It's always relative. When we were in Mexico, I remember them saying the average person makes, I think it was 700 pesos a week. Break that down. 20 pesos to the American dollar. Figure it out. And that was what the average person's income was a week. All right. I know areas over in Africa, the average income is a dollar or two a month. And we start to think about, well, who's rich? Rich is all relative. And when we begin to dig into this, we have to begin to understand that relative richness is something that I believe that God addresses wholeheartedly in the verses that David read. And so if you have your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6, mark yourself there. And while you do, I want you to remember this. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 has been a verse or, or a, a verse we've read fairly regularly. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10, it says, whoever loves money never has enough. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And I want you to focus on that part. Whoever loves what? Wealth is never satisfied with his income. Here's the relative aspect. The more I make, the more I what? And the more I spend, usually, this is the way it goes, the more I make, the more I spend, but that spending is not in generous giving, it's usually on myself. So the reality of what he says is whoever loves his wealth is never satisfied with his income. We got this vicious cycle within American culture that we got to work and work and work and we work more and we work harder and we want to build and we build and build and build. And I'm not anti-retirement and I'm not anti-saving and I'm not anti all of that. But what I want you to understand is usually what ends up happening is we work harder and harder and harder for who? For my benefit, for myself. And listen to what Paul says. Remember, remember Paul's writing this to Timothy. As a matter of fact, if you're in Bible, up in verse, uh, at the end of verse 10, between verse 10 and 11, your Bible might say something like this. Paul's charged to, to Timothy. And this is what Paul does. Paul comes down and he says, look, I understand. Paul knows that the biggest, the biggest struggle, the biggest competition, the most competition for your heart is, is with God is what? Money. We've said that over and over and over again. God's number one competition for your heart is always money. And listen to what Paul says. Paul has given Timothy this charge. He lays out and he says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be what? Arrogant? Not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You just want to hear what he said? Don't put your hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And then he says this again, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I hope you understand that picture because what we're seeing is a reflection of what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, it says this, all right, that we cannot serve both God and money. Why? Because we will hate one and serve the other. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. 
And so Paul has given Timothy this charge to present to the believers of the church. And he says, I'm commanding you to do this. And here's why. Being rich is relative and it's always the other person. But I want you to keep in mind what I just said. If you make more than $48,000 a year, you are in the top, what did I say? 1%. So our attitude toward money reflects the nature of our heart and it reveals whose we are. So if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. This is our big statement today. Do not put your hope in riches, but in the God who richly provides so you may take hold of true life. Do not put your hope in riches, but in the God who richly provides so you may take hold of true life. That's what Paul is trying to get across to Timothy and those believers in the church there is he's trying to say, look, we put our hope in things that are going to pass away, but when we put our hope in those things that pass away, we don't get to experience life and life more abundantly that Jesus offers, that Jesus talks about. Instead, we chase after the things, the possessions, the money, and we sacrifice our life to the point where we say we don't experience it. And I'm going to bring up a number of things that I think will begin to make sense. But I want you to, I want to ask this question. How do I take hold of life? Because maybe you're in a point where you say, you know what? Sometimes life feels like it gets out of control. Sometimes I feel like I don't have control of everything that's going on. If I just made more money, life would be a little bit easier. I would have more control. I'd have more stability. I would have, maybe you've heard yourself say that in the past. But I want you to think about this. How do I take a hold of life? Number one, I believe, is this. Don't be arrogant. Listen to what he says. Paul says this again. Command those who are rich in what? This is what I love about this too. Command those who are rich in, you can cheat, in the present world, right? In this present age and what's going on. So Paul's not saying, hey, command those who are rich now because who was rich back then may not be rich nowadays. What's he say? Command those who are rich in this present world. It's this idea that those who have more than other people, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. What is arrogance? Arrogance is an attitude of superiority that is played out in an overbearing manner by looking at people in a different way, right? It's an arrogance or a superiority complex that I am better than somebody else because of what I make. Now, before you start going down there and saying, well, that's not me, I want to ask you this question. How many times have you pulled into a parking lot or walked down the road, maybe at the plaza, maybe downtown, maybe it was here in Independence, and you come across a person who is obviously homeless, destitute, struggling, maybe they stunk, maybe they had some issues, and you had a negative comment. Maybe not to them, but you had a negative thought pop up in your mind. Well, if that person just wasn't a lazy turd, if that person would get his dead duff out of the streets and start to go to work, if that person wasn't so stupid in the past, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? What is that? Arrogance. Listen to what he says again. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant. 
See, arrogance is looking at people and judging their significance based upon their possessions rather than their purpose. Do you understand that? Do you understand the reality of what takes place? That if everybody is created in God's image, like we claim he is, like the Bible says he is, like we say we believe, if everybody is created in God's image, then that person is created with a purpose. That person is created with a plan. And maybe they've wandered off the path, but I don't look at them with an arrogant attitude. Rather, I look at them as what? God's creation, God's person who he has created, who has a plan for this person, and you never know how it's going to play out. But when we look at somebody with arrogance, we oftentimes look at it based upon their possessions. And so you may be a person who says, I'm not rich. Such and such is rich. And that person may look and go, oh, you're so poor, which is an arrogant attitude. But that's what ends up happening when other people go, oh, look, they're just If that person just got off their dead duff, they would be so much better. Paul is commanding Timothy to pass it on to the believers to say, look, command them not to be arrogant. The Christian's role with money and finances is this, that we should not be arrogant in looking down on people who are in a worse situation than us. That's what he literally is laying out. See, arrogance becomes the issue when we value people because of their possessions. And we don't value others because they don't have. That's the issue. Arrogance becomes that problem when we value people because of their possessions. So don't be arrogant. Listen to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. And keep that in mind, Philippians chapter 2, while while I'm flipping over there, I want you to keep this in mind with arrogance, because listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Rather, regardless of what they make, regardless of how they're dressed, regardless of who you may think they are, consider others better than yourselves. And then listen to what he says in verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. See, Jesus wants us to be humble, not arrogant. Jesus wants us to be boastful in Christ and not prideful in who we are, who we think we are. And so the reality with the money manners thing is that we are all rich. Why? Because God has given us certain things. And what we have to understand is our attitude towards others is huge. Our attitude toward others puts us in a certain situation. See, wealthy people are are always less generous. Have you ever noticed that? Matter of fact, I was going to play that video I told you about, about the guy walking around the suit with the money and stuff like that. But I just really honestly didn't want to waste the time. Because I think the reality is this. The more we make, the less generous we become. And while that may come across harsh or hurtful, but that's usually the truth. So don't be arrogant with what God has blessed you with. And here's the reason why I think, because as we become more and more rich, do you know what we put our faith and trust in? Money. Why are the poor more generous? Usually because they can't put their faith and trust in their money. They don't have it. 
The poor tend to be more generous because they haven't put their faith and trust in something they don't have. The rich have put their faith and trust in something they do have and oftentimes become less generous. And so while we talk about being rich, and I want to challenge you about learning to be a person who lives with generosity. So the first command, he says, how do I take hold of life? Don't be arrogant. Number two, don't put your hope in, what's he say? Riches. Listen again to what he says. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. All right? Wealth is uncertain, is it not? I mean, if you lost any sort of money back in 2009, 2010, you begin to know that wealth is uncertain. You never know what's going to happen. You never know the state of the stock market. It could collapse just like that. And if you don't believe in some of the, what I would call, conspiracy theories uh, to a certain extent, you realize that you really don't have as much control of the stock market and your money as you think you do if you've invested in it. You're riding the wave of uncertainty. And at some point in time, you will lose money. There were thousands of people across the United States who lost everything, pensions, retirement, and all kinds of things with that. But listen, he says, don't put your hope in what? Wealth, which is so uncertain. Rather, listen, put your hope in God. So here's the big thing. When we put our hope in riches, I think we miss out on everything that God has planned. When we put our hope in the money, we miss out on it. Matter of fact, I'm going to throw out a couple of these names, but MC Hammer uh, is someone who's actually one of the most popular ones who lost everything. MC Hammer, for those of you who don't know, was a pop star back in the 90s. Anybody know MC Hammer? All right. Some of you who are younger, you're like, nope. All right. But listen, MC Hammer had a net worth back in the early 90s of $33 million, and he lost it all. Bankrupt, gone, kaput. Two-thirds, I I read an article earlier this week from uh, fortune.com, sorry, one-third of all lotto winners declare bankruptcy at some point in time. So we always go, man, that person's rich. If I just won a million dollar, look, that's not just a million dollar lotto winners. That's the $250 million Powerball winners and all of those types of things. These lotto winners, one third of them end up declaring bankruptcy at some point in their life. Why? Because we put our hope and faith and trust in wealth. As a matter of fact, I'll even go to say this, you know, with what's taking place this week, there are a lot of rich stars in the past who have put themselves into meaningless situations. And there was a guy this week, the the lead singer of Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, who committed suicide. And I would venture to say in some way, shape, or form, there was a putting their trust in finances. And the reality is this, the finances, the wealth, never pay off. Why? Because they are so uncertain. So how do I take hold of life? Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in riches. But listen to what he says. Do do this. Put their hope in God. But to put their hope in God. So the the third thing is, do put your hope in God. Why? Because he richly provides. Listen, as we unpack this, listen to what he says. But put their hope in God who richly provides us with what? Everything, right? For our, listen to this, for our enjoyment. Here's the problem, because a lot of times when somebody starts talking about money from the pulpit, the pastor starts talking about it, a lot of times we think, well, pastors salve our money, but listen to what he says. But put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. You hear what he just said? 
Don't put my faith and my trust in my wealth, but put my faith and my trust in God. Why? Because he will richly provide, richly provide everything for my what? You just get that? My what? My enjoyment. God provides you everything for your enjoyment. But here's the problem, I think, is when we do that, we automatically go to this. Oh, great. Guess what that means? This 80%, I get to do with it whatever I want. So I'm going to waste it. I'm going to spend it on things. Sometimes it's like things we don't need. Like, like you take a perfectly good car and you drive it into a lot and you trade it in on a what? A perfectly good, more expensive car. All right. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to tell but what I'm saying is oftentimes we put our, I'm not saying you might not need it. But what I'm also saying is I think there's a lot of times we go in the road or the direction where we don't need it. We just want it. And it's okay to want, and it's okay to have desires. But listen to what he says. He gives us everything for our enjoyment. The reality is, nine times out of 10, when you go in and buy a new car, what do you do? Take out a loan. When I take out a loan, I'm now in what? And when I'm in debt, guess what I am a slave to? Yeah, not God. I'm slave to the who? The lender, right? Borrower, slave to the lender. So here's what he's saying. I'm giving you everything in here to live off of for your, listen, enjoyment. Here's the problem. Most of us, this doesn't satisfy us, so what do we do? We'll just take all of it. All of this is for my enjoyment. And we miss out on the blessing that God wants to do in and through us with the money that he has what? Given us for our enjoyment. The very thing that God gave us for our enjoyment becomes the very thing that steals the joy out of us. Why? Because we're trying to keep up with everything that we want instead of living off of what we need and being a blessing to everybody else. And I think this is the biggest thing because being rich is relative Remember, being rich is relative, but what you do with what you have reflects who you are and whose you are. Being rich is relative, but what you do with what you have reflects who you are and whose you are. And a lot of times our 80%, maybe even 90%, because maybe we just save and we don't give, reflects whose we are. And it's usually ours. We let money control everything. We don't give faithfully. We don't save so we're not a borrower or a slave to the lender. Rather, we do things. But listen to what he says. Put your hope in God. Do you understand that everything you have has been provided by him? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. When a Christian begins to look at their finances in a biblical picture, we begin to see that everything that I have is what God has given me. The problem becomes when we go, oh, so you're telling me I didn't work hard for that? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm telling you God gave you the ability to work hard for that. I'm telling you God blessed you with a job to provide for you financially. I'm telling you that God gave you things that you don't deserve according to scripture. That he's blessed you with them. And he's asking you simply, listen, he's asking you simply, give the first 10 Saving, not a biblical principle, but the reality is it is a biblical principle because I don't want to be a, a slave to the lender. And then I live on everything else. Why? Because he's already given it to me for my enjoyment. So I live financially smart. 
So how do I take hold of life? How do I not be trapped down? I, I put my hope in God. See, I will not put, matter of fact, I want you to say this. I will not put my hope in riches. You can say it, come on. I will not put my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. I will not put my hope in riches, but in him who richly provides. That's who our hope should come through. In everything we have, he wants to give us everything for our enjoyment. And listen, here's, here's the big thing. It's okay to enjoy your stuff. Please don't leave here and go, well, Brian's telling me I can't, I can't have a boat. I can't, I can't you know, have rental properties. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do... No, I'm not telling you that. God provides everything for your enjoyment. Listen to me on this, though. If you miss out on your enjoyment because God has provided everything and you miss out on generosity, you miss out on the very reason I think that God gave it to you in the first place. And here's what I mean. Let's jump down one more time. Look at verse 18. Command them to do what? To do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and what? Ouch. That's kind of harsh, man. Paul, you're greedy, man. Paul, you were just in it for the money. Paul, you don't know what it's like to work hard. Wait a second. Paul was a bivocational pastor, actually bivocational missionary, who worked his tail off so he wouldn't be a burden. As a matter of fact, it says that somewhere in Scripture. He says, I worked so hard so I would not be a burden to you. But listen to me. Paul commands him to do what? To do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Here's the reality. If you want to enjoy everything that God gave you, live those things out on a daily basis. Live this out. I give consistently to God my 10% first. And you can say what you want to say, but I believe that as a biblical principle that in everything I do, the first 10% of everything I make goes to God. And I'm not talking about, okay, I'm going to give some to World Vision, and I'm going to give some to Voice of the Martyrs, and I'm going to give some to, you know, uh, In Touch by Charles Stanley, and I'm going to give some to Tony Evans and his ministry. That first 10% should always go to the church, the local body of believers that is trying to reach the very community with which you live in. If you choose to give anything else to Charles Stanley or World Vision or you want to support a missionary overseas or things like that, that comes out of what? The 80% that God has already given me to live off of out of enjoyment. So the first 10% goes to the church. The second 10%, I don't want to be a slave to the lender, right? So I save for those opportunities However much you want to do. Maybe you do another 5%. Maybe you do another 10%. Maybe you do 20%. Maybe you're at a point where you have no mortgage and you have no bills and you're like, man, I'm going to give 30% of my money. I'm going, to, I'm going to support ministries. I'm going to do some things that are going to be great. Those are all opportunities. But I want you to understand what he's saying. Put your hope in God. And then listen to what he says in verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. What does that carry out? James says, faith without works is useless. Show me your faith by what you say or believe, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. The reality is this, from a biblical standpoint, 
if I want to be generous to others, whether it's poor, if I, if I, matter of fact, I'll use this example. If we, if you give to a person who's poor and in need, it doesn't come out of here. It comes out of here. That's generosity. This is obedience. This is generosity. Obedience, generosity. Take it out of here, what do you got? Disobedience. We're robbing God. Obedience, generosity. God calls us to be generous, so listen to what he says. I command him to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So why would I trust in riches instead of the one who provides the riches? But that's the reality of what takes place. So how do I put God first? I want you to think about this. We watch these videos of helping homeless people, or maybe you've seen somebody who was really just bent over backwards. They were being so generous. What happens with your heart? What happens on your face? You see somebody with generous spirit who just, who did something, whether it was helping somebody pick up groceries or whether it was feeding somebody, buying somebody food. I mean, whatever it is, those are things that, man, all of a sudden your heart's like, oh, that is so cool. I mean, you see them on Facebook all the time. These videos pop up and it's like somebody who's helping out a poor person. And this poor person is just like so generous, they give back. And everybody's like, oh, that's so awesome. That's cool. What's it do to your heart when you're generous? Your heart explodes with enjoyment. But why is it always we're like, yeah, that's great for other people, but not me? Because I think it reflects our heart at times. See, think about this. To be good or to do good and to be rich in good deeds, I want you to think about how the heart explodes with excitement when you see something good done. But I want you to think about this. How does your heart respond when you see somebody treat somebody like trash? Kind of a bitterness, a resentment. Now, part of that video I was, I was telling you about, you know, this guy's walking around with a suit coat on. He's got dollar bills taped all over his suit. He's got a sign. Take what you need. That's all it says. Take what you need. And a lady's got like some, I don't remember what it was, like a Gucci or a Coach or Louis Vuitton bag and He's like, you got a Louis Vuitton bag. Do you really need this? She's like, yeah, I'm getting my nails done. And he's like, all right. And I mean, she does. She takes money. And then another guy walks by and he's like, do you really need that? He's like, well, it's free, so I might as well take it. And he just starts taking all the money. And he goes to the homeless guy. And the homeless guy's sitting there and he's like, I'll take two. And he does. He takes $2. And he's like, he's trying to tell the guy, dude, take more. And the guy's like, no, I just need enough for dinner. Two bucks. I don't know about you, but $2 can't even hardly buy you a burger at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> Unless the Royals get double play, then you got two, right? <laughs> All right. So, but listen, he says, be good and be rich in good deeds. Think about it, how the heart becomes callous when you see somebody so greedy. And what I want to challenge you is this. When we live with a life that's full of generosity, we get to experience the enjoyment that God intended in the first place. 
But when we live a life that says, I'm not going to be generous, I'm just going to obey, and I'm not trying to take away. Obedience is huge, but generosity is an experience of a blessing that God wants to do even greater things in and through you. Start with obedience, lead to generosity. Because a generous heart is really what God calls us to do in the first place. He wants us to be, because listen to what he says. So he says to do good and be rich in good deeds. That's number four. Number five, to be generous. I put do be generous, all right? That's the idea. Do be generous and willing to share. Because listen to what he says. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Here's the reason why. When I'm generous and I'm willing to share, listen to what he says, in this way they will lay up, what? Treasure for who? For themselves. So wait, when I, when I give somebody financial help or support and things like that, what am I laying up? Treasures in heaven. Treasure for myself. And what's beautiful about it is he even explains it even more. You lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You get that? When I am generous above and beyond my tithe, I get to experience the enjoyment of what God placed me here for. Why? Because I'm giving of what he's already given to me. And that generosity is laying up treasures for yourselves as a firm foundation. You get that? You're laying up treasure for yourselves, a firm foundation for the coming age. Why? I believe it's this way. Because in the coming age, it's going to be even more so a necessity to trust in God than in money. Because I believe at some point, at least according to Scripture, when time comes about, there's going to be a time where you're going to have to choose between following Jesus and most likely living or making a living. In some places, that's the case. In some countries, that's the case already. Not so here. But what happens when that becomes the case here? When I follow Christ first, I put my hope in God who gave me everything for my enjoyment. It says he will provide for me. But there's going to be a time and a place when there is going to be a situation that arises for Christians and they're going to have a choice. Do I deny God and follow after money and chase after money? Or do I follow God and know that my family may not eat? Financially, we may not be able to take care of. We may end up losing our house or a job, or something because of that situation. Like I said, that may not be the case right now here in America, but it may very well at some point. So how do I take a hold of this life? I learned to be generous. See, I gave you this quote earlier. Greed is the assumption that everything is for my consumption. But my generosity comes not out of my tithing, but out of my giving from what I live on. Hear what I said? My generosity comes not out of my tithing, but out of my giving from what I live on. Being generous is an attitude of the heart, and that attitude of the heart, remember, reflects who you are. Why? Because you can't serve both God and money. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so learn to take hold of what he's laying out. 
I love verse 19. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. But listen what he says then. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You want to experience life here on earth now? Be a person of generosity. But listen, that also talks about the future life. You're laying up treasures in heaven so that you could take hold of the life that Jesus promised you in the future in heaven with him. And so I learned that life is not wrapped up in what I make. Life is not wrapped up in the possessions I have, but life is wrapped up in Christ. If you want to take hold of life, be generous. You can't beat the payback. When you get to see the enjoyment and the smile and the excitement on the person that you're helping out, listen, that's a blessing. And when I even say this, and I I say this oftentimes with caution, look, we try and make wise financial decisions. That's why I even want you to understand this. When people come into our church on Sunday morning asking for money, I will tell you this right now. Number one, they never get cash. And it's not because I don't trust them. It's not because I don't want to be generous. It's because right now there is a system being worked throughout the churches that these people have learned to do that takes advantage of a situation. Now, hear me out. You may say, well, that's not being generous. No, that's opposite. We're trying to make sure that we don't enable a situation or a struggle or an addiction. So we never give out cash, but we always try and help. In other words, we may contact the electric company for them. We may give them a gift card to Quick Trip. We have in the past got them food gift cards. We have done all kinds of things to try and help without enabling a possible situation that they may be in, whether that's an addiction to drugs and alcohol, or maybe it's addiction to just spending money on other things. We try and meet the need. So being generous with what God has already given, but we try and meet the need. Why? Because we want to make sure of the situation. And I would challenge you with this. I've done this in my own personal life. Never unless it's a person you know, never give the person cash. Matter of fact, every time I've ever bought a homeless person a meal, guess what I do? Hey, you want a meal? Yeah. All right, come on, let's go. I've walked down the block before. We had kids in Springfield. We were at the, we did a a youth activity one time. We were at Andy's Frozen Custard there on Glenstone. Love Andy's. Homeless guy comes up. He's like, I need money for food. And I'm like, won't give you money, Bo, buddy. And he's like, oh, man. I said, but I'll walk right up there with you to Backyard Burger, and I'll buy you a meal. Oh, that'd be awesome. And we did. We walked two and a half store buildings down or whatever, two buildings down, and walked to Backyard Burger, bought him a meal, and he was so appreciative. I mean, just thinking like crazy. And part of this came from experience. I remember buying a guy some food one time. It's standing out on the street corner, had this hungry, we'll work for food sign, We went and got two pieces of fried chicken and a biscuit at KFC and took it to him and gave it to him. He's like, oh, thanks, man, as we drove away. And I saw him throw it over his back behind the bushes. And I went, oh. And deep down in my heart, you know what I did? I'm going to drive back there. I'm going to give this guy a piece of my mind. But I didn't because that's on him. But I've tried to make wise decisions, and I think that's our responsibility. Look, be generous all you can with everything you've got. Be willing to share. Why? Because in this way, you will lay up a treasure for yourself as a firm foundation for the coming age, and you will take hold of the life that is truly life. 
I want to give you these two quotes as we wrap up. Jim Elliott says this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott was a missionary who lost his life down in South America. And he laid this down. And now I want to give you this last one. Wayne Myers, and I gave you this earlier, but I want you to think about this in in light of everything that we've talked about with Money Matters. Money is an instrument that can buy everything but happiness and pay your fare to everywhere but heaven. I want to ask you this. From a financial standpoint, are you obedient to God? Are you not being a slave to the lender? And are you living with enjoyment what God has already blessed you with? Because that's what true life actually is experienced through. That as everything that God has given me, even how small and insignificant you may think what you make is, God has given that to you for enjoyment. And some of the best things to enjoy are when you're generous to other people. When you give above and beyond to to accomplish something that you may have never dreamed of or imagined. And what I say is this, and I, 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 from a biblical standpoint, I stand by this, but I want you to understand this, that when you are faithful with the small things, what does God do? Matter of fact, I'll put a multiply sign up here. What does God do? He multiplies it. Remember Malachi chapter 3? Because a lot of times, you know, pastors will use that where we talk about how, you know, how are we robbing God? You, you don't bring in the tithe into the storehouse. But remember what he says after that? Test me. Test me. And let me show you how I will overflow my blessing to you. And I want to challenge you with this is that you test God, that you're obedient in the 10%, that you begin to let God show you how to save for those future things so that you're not a slave to the lender and that you begin to live a generous life. And I'm not saying maybe it's larger, maybe it's smaller, whatever, but you begin to live a generous life where you can live with enjoyment and experience the true life that God offers financially as well as spiritually. Because listen, a lot of times we want to break down this financial part of my life, spiritual part of my life. And what the Bible says is they go hand in hand. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Father, we know that our chief or your chief competition for our heart is our things, our possessions, our money, the finances. And God, we know that money is not evil in and of itself, but God, when we love money, it becomes the root of all kinds of evil because we'll do anything and everything to earn it. But God, I thank you for the fact that you have paid the price In the sending of your son, Jesus Christ, you sent Jesus to pay the price that we could never pay for ourselves. And so God, as we look deep down at our finances, as we begin to evaluate everything that you have given us for our enjoyment, as we looked at today, God, may we be people who are obedient in giving. May we lovingly and sacrificially give because that is what you have called us to do. But then God, may we be people who are not slaves to the lenders, 
that we are wise with the decisions we make so that we are not uh, in debt and not able to do things that you want us to do. And then God, last of all, with everything that we have left to live on, God, I pray that we would be generous and willing to share, to share with other brothers within the church who may be in a financial situation, a sticky problem, but God, also to be able to just be generous to those who have never put their faith and trust in you. God, a simple act of kindness could be the very thing that you use to let somebody see the truth of the gospel. So may we be people who are sacrificially giving, who are obedient with with what you have blessed us with, and who are generous above and beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine because you would multiply it out. Father, I pray just as we wrap this up that there would be a supernatural working in the lives of so many people here in the church that financially they would make tough decisions to be wise with, the, with, with what the, you have given them, that they would do whatever they could to get out of debt, to experience the freedom that you want to give in and through that so that they can be generous in ways that maybe they've never imagined before. God, may we be a church that leads the way in generosity. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.